Hey, this is uh, Michael McClure, and welcome to another episode of Unk Few. Uh, as always, we're super excited that you're listening in with us today. Uh, we really appreciate your support of the show. Uh, we continue to pick up uh, listeners, and we really, really uh, value you and the fact that you take time out of your busy lives to listen to the crap that we put out every week. <laughs> so, as usual, I'm joined by my uh, by my nephew in uh, the Windy City, Mr. Brendan. Michael Lemon, or as I call him, I don't I can't tell him what I call him because he's listening. Uh, anyway, welcome, <laughs> Brennan. You with us here today? Uh, yep, I'm here. I'm listening to the. I'm, I'm helping you crap out the crap that we're talking about. <laughs> well, hell, that's craptastic. That's fantastic. That's that's craptastically fantastic. Um, obviously, we'll be we'll be deleting everything we've said so far out of this episode. <laughs> this but awesome. anyway, we're as always. We're, we're excited. Anything new you want to talk about, Brennan, before we launch into today's topic, which is which is who isn't Hitler? Or do you just oh, want man. to dive right into that? I just want to dive right into it because we live in a world of a lot of Hitlers. And I think that it's important for us to figure out who isn't one or can or or, or can we? I mean, or, or are there no or is everyone Hitler now? I just think that well, I'm excited certain, to jump into this yeah, topic. It certainly feels like pretty much everyone is Hitler. I mean, everywhere I look, people are, you know, goose-stepping down the street and zieg-heiling and raising their arms at precisely 45 to 47 <laughs> degrees and saluting one another. And I think it's, um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's German spring. <laughs> it's, it's springtime for Hitler. <laughs> it's, a, it's an endless yes, it's spring. it's like Arab spring Hitler. except for Germans. <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> well actually actually you know it's interesting because uh the fact that this just occurred to me now since we talked about doing the show a while ago just shows you how close i am to full-blown alzheimer's as opposed to just you know <laughs> dabbling in alzheimer's yeah uh, i took i took a year of german in high school did and, you really uh i'm going to tell you i'm going to tell you i'm going to recite everything i learned from an entire year of taking German in high school. Here it is. Prepare yourself. All right, go uh, ahead. Geburtstaggeschenk. Geburtstaggeschenk, <laughs> which means birthday present. And ja, ich schwimme, which means yes, I swim. So that's the totality of my German vocabulary. So as long as I'm invited to a birthday party where there's a pool, I'm all set. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's, that sounds like it's from a lesson, like in your high school German class, in which they're like, let's like they try to imagine a scenario in which you have to use your German, like they're like, so you're invited to a, a birthday party at a swimming pool. <laughs> yeah, ich will schwimmen. <laughs> yes, Geburtstag geschenkt. Yeah, I but, so anyway, speak, uh, I, I speak more German than you, and I have never even taken a German class in my life. Well, you have the advantage of you, you dated someone who was German. Yes, that's true. So that probably is a little bit of an advantage. And you lived in Paris for twice, so. Correct. And so fuck you is what I'm saying. I, I guess so. And according to intersectional feminism, I'm a Nazi. So uh, that's a good place to start uh, this discussion, I think, because I think that through progressive eyes, uh, the, the world is entirely Hitler's. We're all Hitler's. What I think is is what is intersectional feminism? Is that where like two cars come together and somebody like flashes their tits? <laughs> yeah, that, no. So like 
this is going to derail this discussion right at the beginning, I bet. But basically, intersectional feminism or intersectionality is the is the school of thought that says that uh, each type of person at the level of their identity faces a variety of different oppressive uh, forces from greater culture uh, and that that occurs in some sort of hierarchical way. And if you're a white man, you face the least of these. If you're a middle class to upper middle class or upper class white man, you face absolutely none of them and therefore can't relate to the experience of any other person on the planet, basically. That's kind of how intersectionality wow. works. I mean, in a very quick interview. And you can wow. tell from my description of it, my feelings about it. Um, I don't like it. So Wow. So that's why it's I'm, amazing. That's why it's I'm a, Hitler and you're Hitler, basically. Exactly. And that, and that whole, as I listen to you, and I do appreciate the fact that you, you used the tone and tenor that you did, which clearly conveyed your, either your lack of support for it or, or your disgust with it. Or, or something in between, you know, I just, the whole time I was shaking my head and just, you know, like, what, it, all this shit, all this stuff like that, that has come into existence over the last, again, whatever it is, in one of our previous podcasts, you said something that really resonated with me, and I won't be able to quote it properly, but you'll correct me instantly if I'm wrong, which is, if you haven't been on a college campus since 2013, finish it for me. Oh, yeah, you have no idea how bad it's gotten. That's the Jonathan Haidt quote. Okay, so, yeah. yeah. So, in three years, you know, and I'm sure this goes back longer than that, but my point is, I, I, I think you'll, you get it already, which is all this thinking that's come up that manufactures thoughts like you just shared. Yeah. I'm not suggesting that there's not some kernel of truth in some of it. Uh, obviously, I believe there is. But I think it's grown into this phenomenon that is spun so out of control. And that really does bring us, you know, really right into the topic we're here to talk about, which is who isn't Hitler? Who doesn't piss somebody off? Yeah. Everything we do now offends someone. It's outrageous. Well, it's exactly so. Here's the, one of the things I want to mention. This is a, this, it feels like because of the way the internet is I mean because of the fact that everyone is involved it's a giant online discussion that's constantly taking place on Twitter or Facebook or Reddit or wherever like we're running into a global uh limit of Godwin's law have you ever heard of this thing Godwin's law no what is it okay so Godwin's law also known as Godwin's rule of Nazi analogies was <laughs> created by the attorney and author Mike Godwin, and he named it uh, from Usenet back in the 90s. And the law is that as a, an online discussion involves more and more people, the likelihood that someone is going to call someone else Hitler or a Nazi uh, gets greater and greater. <laughs> so, so at some point, Godwin's law says, at some point in an online discussion, someone will be called Hitler by someone else. <laughs> Like so, yeah. this guy. And the fact that I'm not laughing, yeah. The fact <laughs> yeah, that I'm not laughing just confirms the fact that it's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's. I can. Have, in your case, especially, I can imagine you get <laughs> called Hitler quite a bit online. <laughs> uh, I know I piss a lot of people off. I've, I've, um, I've 
I've lost a lot of friends online uh, in the last couple of months. I've blocked a bunch of people uh, who I just can't listen to their rhetoric anymore. And yeah. by the way, I didn't call. I've never, I've never called anyone Hitler for the record. Uh, but I just, I'm so fed up with some of the thinking from the other side of the uh, of the political spectrum and how crazy it is, just how outright insane it is, uh, and and how there's two sets of rules for for you know for the two political classes really. Um, and and you know when you look at how, and let's get more specific here. If we think about who has been called Hitler most often in this political cycle, I think I could ask anyone on the street that question, and irrespective of who they like or don't like for this presidential race that's coming up, I think pretty much everyone would say uh, that's probably Donald Trump. More, Donald Trump has been called Hitler-esque more than anyone. Oh, Donald but Trump is definitely really the, what, more, the, more, the more Hitler of the candidates in the public eye. Donald Trump is out, out, out in the public eye. The more hit Hitler-like of the two candidates, the more Hitler-esque. <laughs> yes, he's more Hitler-esque. Hitler-ish. <laughs> but, but <laughs> if you if you analyze what the man's actually done, you know what are his supposed sins or crimes, and uh, particularly when you juxtapose the honest answer to that question with the honest answer to that same question for the for his opponent, uh you know, you really begin to see how, how skewed the perceptions of so many people are. Because again, it sounds like I'm defending Trump or supporting Trump, and, and I probably am on some level. But the fact remains that what I'm saying is, I believe, objective and true, which is, let's assume everything anybody's ever accused Donald Trump of being is correct. Sure. Even if that's true, the totality of that doesn't yeah. come close to making him Hitler because again, he's accused of being racist. There's plenty of evidence that he isn't. Uh, there's, you know, what he is is he's honest. He speaks his mind, and he doesn't give a shit what anybody thinks. And that squarely, there's no, there's no quicker path to, you know, to Hitlerama than that. And I think it's nuts. I think it's insane how skewed everything is. Well, I think let's try to break do you, down. Do you I agree with that or not? Well, I think that I don't know if. if I think he said stuff that indicates that if you were to go, hey, look, he's a racist because he said things that sound racist, I think you're probably right. I think that he's, and I don't want to get into that discussion for a moment if we could table it. Okay, I mean, let, but let's, the, let's assume he is, let's assume he is racist. Go on. I'm, I'm conceding that even though he really isn't, but I'm conceding that. That makes him Hitler? No, I was going to say, I don't think it does. I mean, and, and it's interesting because there's an article that was just published today, actually, uh, <laughs> on the Daily Beast and also on the Huffington Post. It's like there's a number of different articles that have been published about this. Oh, the, the one that I'm referring to that was published today is on the, the, the Daily Record. Um, but the Daily Beast had an article that was like, Trump isn't like Hitler, he's like Goebbels, which I think is kind of funny. I just did a tiny amount of research <laughs> before we had this call because I wanted to have some some cursory knowledge of the Hitler-like character of Donald Trump. But, I mean, here's, the, here's what's so ridiculous about this. It's, this is, to me, an extremely... Uh, an extremely good example of the hyperbolic nature of our 
rhetoric today and all of our feelings and all of our everything gets like turned up to 11 and hitler is a great reference point for that i mean like it's ridiculous because there's so many people who would say and have said and you can look up and see these people online who say things like yeah man trump is literally hitler okay like trump is literally fucking hitler for, for real you know, like whether or not you're butchering the word literally <laughs> even if you're saying hey hitler is figurative or trump is figuratively hitler you're, he's not. The, you cannot draw that illusion. I mean, he's only Hitler-esque in the idea that both were politicians and both were courting a base with some sense of nationalism, which I would say Trump is doing. But there's Absolutely. that. But that's so loose, you could apply that to almost any politician that is is doing that, and so many of them do that. And so in that in that same way, you could very easily say, well, Bernie Sanders is a lot like Lenin. And, and, and in a lot of ways, maybe that's a stronger analogy than the Hitler one. But all I'm saying uh, is that it's so ridiculous I because I, without getting on, uh, without getting off on that yet, I just want to say that it's it the the it's so exa- such a good example of this kind of hyperbolic culture because it's very like no one is advocating for the actual extermination of other people, and we, let's not forget that. I mean, this Hitler led the largest you know, genocide in human history and the greatest amount of death was essentially caused by that directly and indirectly that man uh, since, you know, Genghis Khan. I mean, it's, that's the truth. And there's no freaking way that this dude, Donald Trump, whether you like him or hate him, is at that level of, uh, I mean, look, he's just not that important to history. Like no matter what we cut it. He's just not going to be that important in history. And I, and even people at the time of Hitler knew that Hitler was Hitler, if that makes sense. Like, even people at in that day and age were aware of the fact that that guy was an evil man. Like, nobody, nobody well, is... Well, I'm thinking six... Yeah, I'm thinking six million dead Jews would be some indication of evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. So that's what I'm saying, is that, I mean... It's it's a really unproductive thing to do, and it doesn't... I mean, to, to call someone else Hitler, and it doesn't advance the discussion in any meaningful way you know i mean i think what it does is it's just all of the rhetoric in every political conversation that takes place in real life or online these days seems to be mostly us meaning the people who are on the inside of whatever group you want to name us meaning the republicans us meaning democrats us meaning liberals us meaning you know conservatives whatever turning around and just hyping up our own opinions and pumping up our own uh, feelings about how bad the other side is and how right we are. And calling somebody else Hitler is a great way to do that. It's a great way to go, they're bad, they're the enemy, and we're good, and we're the good people. And nothing could be less productive in a, in a democracy, I think. Agreed. And I'd like to, I'd like to reply to the things you just said. First, I'd like to say in response to Oh, I bet you would, Hitler. <laughs> Here comes fucking Hitler with his reasonable arguments again. <laughs> oh God. Okay. So anyway, I'd like to respond to what you what you've said. And uh, first, I'd like to say in response to your comment that Sanders is more like Lenin. I have to disagree. I really think he's he's more like McCartney. But I I do understand why you said that. You know, Bernie <laughs> plays bass left handed, so I think right there automatically pushes me more towards McCartney. But I don't want to waste a lot of time debating that because I know that there are some who actually would even say Ringo Starr, but I'm not even going to touch that. Secondly, 
regarding the the Genghis Khan, can you imagine how different the band Rufus would have been if they hired Genghis Khan instead of Shaka Khan? I think the dynamic of the band would have been altered significantly. Uh, thirdly, I'd like to say that um, I'm totally nude doing this show, and I'm actually being completely serious. I just thought I'd try it to see what happens. Uh, <laughs> wait, fourthly, wait, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I really say- am. I just thought I'd do it just to, just to see what happens. Just to see if, if I behave any differently. Uh, and, and don't even reply to that. And fourthly, if that's a word, and it is now, I'd like, to, I'd like to go off on a small tangent that is extremely relevant to what we're talking about, and I'm being totally serious. And I okay. just wrote this this morning because I was thinking of writing a Facebook post that basically would say what I'm about to say, which is, um, and this really does tie directly to what we're talking about, so just hang with me for a minute. All right. Uh, and the title of this, the title of this is "He Who Controls the Media Controls the People," and basically, you know, the 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 control of the media allows the control of the narrative, and the control of the narrative can make the insane seem sane, the criminal appear lawful, the yep. immoral appear moral, etc., etc., etc. So, who, whoever controls the narrative controls a large percentage of the thinking of the masses, because let's be honest, most people don't do a lot of independent thinking. Most people are much more, I don't want to say interested, because I don't think it's conscious choice, but the, the reality is that most people are sheep. They just follow the herd, and they maybe sure. take cues from a few people they know, especially with social media, where they can well, look and see what other people are thinking, uh, especially people that a they lot of- respect Quoting a lot of Nietzsche there, I'm Hitler. Cool. Am I? Yeah. Well, I mean, that was but Nietzsche's concept. Event, that most people were the, the herd. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, have you read much Nietzsche, by the way? I've read a ton. My, my thesis in college was based on Thus Spoke the Zarathustra. I've read a bunch of Nietzsche. So have I. We've never talked about this, which is interesting. So we'll talk about it here and now. But let me just finish my thing here. I'm almost done. Yeah, go ahead. Go so... Ahead. Uh, so anyway, whoever controls the narrative controls the masses. Most people don't think. They just follow. And I really believe that if you put a message out in front of people and, and you put it out in a, in, in a series of contexts that are normally deemed reasonable and reliable, like major network news, for example, if you put out an insane message and it appeared on every major network, I don't care what it is, I really believe if all the networks put it out, that people would kind of believe it. And, and I, there's just been so many examples of this that I could cite that have happened recently where, you know, like the whole, the whole thing that happened with Hillary, which, of course, we did a podcast on that, but the fact that yeah. she wasn't, you know, she wasn't indicted. And there's a large group of people who I see arguing, you know, in all these political fights that go on every single day, all day long on Facebook, for example, who, are, who say, well, she wasn't indicted, so therefore, you know. Yeah. And it's like, wait a minute. You know, if you know the facts at all, uh, the fact that she wasn't indicted doesn't change the fact that she did exactly what it was that should have led to her indictment. So the fact that yeah. she wasn't indicted is not an argument. Yeah. And but, those are the same. So, I mean, those so, are the same people who are those are the same types of liberals who, as soon as the, the police force goes, you know, we didn't find that the police officer did anything wrong in the shooting are like, oh, he didn't do anything wrong. Come on. Like, and it's those exactly. are exactly the same. The exactly. Same people. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I'm almost done. So, so this gets back to where does this Hitler rhetoric come from as it relates to Trump, since we use that as an example. It's sure. because I sincerely believe that, you know, media, they put out a message and it's consistently, it's parroted across the networks. Um, you know, we even see, we, Brennan and I talked about this right before we, we launched this particular show and we decided we weren't going to do a show um, about what happened with the, uh, the head of the Democratic Party being fired and then immediately hired by Hillary because we don't want every one of our shows to, to be about politics. But what came out of that, one of the many nuggets that really hasn't been unpacked nationally or by the media just yet, but I believe will be, is the fact that there was collusion between uh, uh, journalists and the Democratic campaign. I mean, yeah. that's specifically one, you know, so it's like, that's just, you know, that's supporting the point I'm trying to make, which is, if you want to, if you don't believe that there's a narrative that's being spun and it's being, you know, and, and I don't mean to suggest that it isn't being spun from both sides. It is. I mean, we talked about Fox News. And if you recall, yeah. Brennan, you called my description of Fox News the best and most objective you'd ever heard. And so, you know, we're acknowledging that spin comes from both sides. But everything we see, I believe, in the media or almost everything is being spun. And it's just scary how these narratives get created and people get labeled things like Hitler when the support, the facts don't support it at all. Well, that's pretty, I, I, I totally agree with that. Because I think that there are, well, this is all taking place outside of the purview of facts. Like, and I, I think that that's, yes, that's, that's what is so nuts about it is that if somebody was, nobody wants to, have, no one who's invested in the discussion, nobody who's like pounding their fist on the table and pointing their finger and writing, you know, comments on Facebook in all caps. Uh, nobody wants to actually turn those. Those are not the people who want to have the volume turned down and then go like, hey, let's take a cold look at the facts and see exactly what you, whether the things that you just said or this other person just said actually have any basis in reality. Um, it, it's so weird. There was a. Uh, there was a, and this is just an example of that, not exactly in the same kind of Hitler-esque area of the conversation, but just as, as an example of what I just described. Um, the Republican National Convention was covered by uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, um, which is admittedly a left-leaning program, and I've uh, felt, I've gone through phases with it feeling both like yes john oliver is the only one talking about these problems on in the media and then also feeling like okay i don't think that was a rather even-handed look at that topic uh I, I, just to be perfectly clear but he did do a coverage of the republican national convention and one of the things that he covered in it and his thesis on it was he was like for people he's like these are these are people who are talking a hell of a lot about the feelings of others and as example of that they showed Newt Gingrich, a Newt Gingrich interview that happened recently in which uh, he was asked by, I think it was on CNN, although maybe I'm wrong about that. Uh, someone can Google this, but it was basically Newt Gingrich being asked about um, uh, how people being safe in America. And he said, well, the fact is people are less safe in America today than they were 10 years ago. And CNN was like, actually, that's not true at all that the, the rates of violent crime in America are actually lower than they were 10 years ago. The rates of attacks and the, uh, you know, the 
you know, the likelihood in which you're going to be injured in some type of terrorist attack or some type of violent attack in the United States of America is actually quite lower than it was 10 years ago. And he was like, no, it isn't. And they were like, yeah, it is. Like, we've got the facts to show that. And he was like, well, that's not how people feel. You're like, well, yeah, that's not how people feel, but that's like not the fact at all. The fact is that you're, you're safer. So, you know, people can feel that way, but that should we be legislating on what people feel? I mean, the point that I'm trying to make is that even Newt Gingrich, even the Republicans in this, at this level are talking about feelings more than facts. And I would, I would say, I would say, I bring that up only to say that it, it seems to me, speaking even as a liberal in this argument, that I don't need to bring up that kind of evidence to support that Democrats are more feelings-based than fact-based. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and I think that's a, that's a good point and a fair point, although I will say this. Um, you know, I think when it comes to things like, um, I don't know how, I don't know how quite to say this. My supporting point for the point I didn't just make is (laughs) five terror attacks, five terror attacks in 11 days. Uh, and I don't care what the stats say. And I know that those happened in Europe, et cetera, but you know, there's a, there's a, there's a feeling of paranoia. And paranoia is the wrong word. It's, there's this fear. It, we have a level yeah. of fear that I've never experienced in my lifetime, and I'm fucking old. And, you know, one thing that really infuriates me, and it, I mean, I've been so angry so many times in this political cycle for so many different reasons. But, you know, yeah, the, it's, the it's aftermath exhausting. of Trump's... It is. But the aftermath of Trump's acceptance speech, when you saw all the left-leaning... Uh, media sources, which is everything but Fox, came out with this, you know, uh, Trump focuses on fear, you know, dark message and all that. And I thought, I watched every minute of that speech. And that is not at all what it was. Uh, did he talk about things like terrorism and war on police and all that? Yeah, he did. But in my opinion, those were just facts. Or uh, if not facts, then undisputable truths that we all can agree to if we were all objective, because I'll ask you, you know, I've never asked you this question. Do you have a level of fear regarding terrorism? Or, or let me rephrase, is your fear of terrorism greater or less than it was uh, a year ago? Uh, greater. Is it at its highest point in your lifetime right now? Or was there some previous point where you had more of a fear of it? No, it's highest now. Okay. And that's all I'm trying to say right there is that I, I really believe every honest person in America would answer the, those questions that way. And so I think that, um, you know, another thing that's related to this is this whole, uh, uh, you know, fear-mongering, this fear-mongering expression of if you talk about terrorism, which, by the way, the Democrats didn't make any reference to whatsoever on the first night of the, the convention. They didn't mention ISIS or terrorism at all in 61 speeches. And that's been confirmed that that's a fact. That's insane. I mean, how does that not come up? I mean, it's, I think about it constantly because, I mean, just yesterday, a a Catholic priest had his fucking throat slit in Normandy. Yeah. I mean, you spent time in France. You spent time in France. I've spent time in Normandy. Like, I, yeah. Okay, so... Tell me, it's totally honestly, nice. how did that story hit you? And maybe it didn't hit you any differently because you were there or not, but I would think it might. I mean, what were your thoughts when you heard that, that story? 
Um, I so I saw the story on Reddit when it came out, and I didn't really have many feelings about it. Uh, my feelings were, well, that's another example of more shit that's going to happen like this. Um, which maybe through that own kind of sense of uh, resignation, in a way, is actually more depressing than if I had had feelings about it. Um, I guess I kind of feel like taking a step back a little bit. It it it's amazing to me that the Democrats didn't talk about it. Um, so I want to do two things. I want to make two points real quick. One is Adam Curtis and the the power of nightmares, uh, which I want to talk about in a second. Um, and we've talked about him before. I'm a big fan of his, but I want to table that for a moment to go back to what you're saying about the DNC, um, just because I want to I want to make a point about this. Um, the this whole thing is so fucking managed, and I think that 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 yep. management of how it's perceived and how it's coming across, and how the the people who are aware and sorting out who's going to talk and what they're going to talk about and where the media is going to shoot and how they're going to perceive everything um, is so aware of of how of of what that message is supposed to be tailored to be counter whatever the Republicans are doing, that it is only enhancing this culture of Hitlerism, of, of calling, of dropping the H-bomb uh, in conversations, because I think it's, it's doing that purposefully, because it's taking the, the opposite approach of, of whatever the Republicans are talking about. So, like, you know, you see the Donald Trump's message, uh, he's talking about build the wall, people chant build the wall. Um, they are against illegal immigration coming into this country. The DNC actually had a speech from someone who got up and was talking about essentially being an undocumented immigrant uh, in America. And I felt like that was so weird because I'm, I mean, like we've talked about this. I'm not going to vote. I, I'm not going to vote Trump. I don't, I don't like him. I don't think he's a good leader. I mean, we can talk about that in a minute, but the idea that you want illegal immigrants to have some kind of documentation or you don't want them in their country should not be controversial to anyone who's a who's a, a patriot in their own country. I mean, it's nuts to think about that. Like, I the fact that I want people who like we should have an idea of who's in our fucking borders. Like that, that just makes sense. That's reasonable. That's not. There shouldn't be anything controversial about that. Like, we're not running a casino. You know what I mean? Like, we don't need somebody coming in and out and have no idea where they are or anything like that. Like, just. You know, right. we want to know who's here. That just makes sense. And then for right, the right. DNC. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and right. Well, let me say one thing real fast. Um, and the fact that you said that the way that you said it, it, it proves the point that I was trying to make earlier, which is the narrative has been so moved. You know, it's like boiling frogs. The narrative has been moved so far, you know, so like one inch at a time that, you know, you implicit in what you just said was that it is controversial. And it yep. shouldn't be controversial that, uh, that we wouldn't want just fucking anyone walking across the border and, and taking up, you know, occupancy here and doing who knows what. I mean, and, and, and Obama, again, is taking it a step further with attempts to make illegals able to vote. I mean, we could do an entire show just on that. That's one of the craziest thoughts I've ever heard. But back to what you were saying. I completely agree with you. Well, what I just was going to say is that the, the, um, the, 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 the fact that they put up a undocumented, which they keep, say, keep, keep saying undocumented as if that's somehow better, um, you know, speaker, 
and who was talking about growing up in America undocumented and how they were terrified that they would be sent back across the border. Like part of me is like, look, I, I mean, I had an argument with my roommate about it a little bit afterwards, but I was like, you know, part of me is like, hey, look, if you come into this country and you're undocumented, you're the risk you're taking is to have your family torn apart. Like you, 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 you know right. that coming into it. Like, right. And I'm not saying they like, made the I'm not choice for. Yeah, I'm not for the tearing apart of families. Like, I don't think anybody could be for that. And I'm, I'm absolutely for a, you know, a reasonable like uh, immigrants are what built this country. I don't think that we shouldn't be shutting down people because they're brown, which is what the left would accuse the right of because they, they, you know, they, they think it's a racial issue. Um, I, I'm not. I mean, obviously, I'm not for any of that. And I'm the liberal. I'm just saying, like, look. I mean, at some point. You, you know what you're getting into. Like, I'm not, it's the same kind of mentality that causes people to like, you know, go to a public swimming pool and then sue when they jump in and they drown because they don't know how to swim. It's like, look, you, you took the risk of showing up and doing this and you're just kind of hoping and maybe you were escaping some kind of terrible thing. But in that case, like we have, there's, there are, there are, you know, things that take place in this country. I hope that take that kind of thing into account, you know? Like a lot of these people are just I, I get it, they're they're leaving crushing poverty, but it's like I part of me feels like, well, that's why you should stay there and work through those problems. And I mean, maybe that's a very ignorant thing to say. And again, I'm not No, but, it isn't. But that's not but that's not even the full issue. Like the full issue to me is like we should just have an idea of who's in the fucking country. Like it just it seems kind of nuts that that there's there's another like there it, there's even another position on that. Um like we shouldn't just allow anybody anyway that's neither here nor there the point of me saying that is i think that if the demo if, if democrats were to acknowledge that that is a reasonable position were they able to say like look you know we got to know who's in our country um what we're for is trying to is trying to get a, a a reasonable pathway to uh citizenship and yeah we acknowledge that there's a lot of people who are coming across and hey we got a plan for it but it's not going to be alienating an entire country of people to us and we're not for building walls we're for building alliances with countries like mexico and if there was some reasonable alternative to that but no instead they put up an undocumented person to give a speech at the dnc which only stokes the fires of that tribalism and makes the other side look even less reasonable and you're like well this is or 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 more you know what i mean or 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 more like hitler if that makes sense um, well well first of all First of all, I agree with everything you're saying. First of all, I mean, implicit in what you just said is that we don't have an existing system for this issue, which we do. There yeah. is a process by which people become naturalized U.S. citizens. And sure. I happen to know a bit about this because, as you know, oh, yeah. I dated someone for 18 years who was born and raised in Moscow. And they yeah. came to the U.S. And guess what, motherfuckers? She did exactly what she was supposed to do. She went through the process. It cost money. It took time. And I was by her side when she was sworn in as a U.S. citizen down in Shane Park in downtown Detroit. And she wept. She wept tears of joy because, you know, she was a U.S. citizen. And, and also, I think part of that was because She's an honorable and honest and respectable person who did it the right way. It never entered her mind to try to cheat some way. And so yeah. 
How, how do we get past, how, how does the conversation ever skip past the point I just made? Which is, there is a fucking system. Why don't you just abide by it? Because that's, again, classic liberalism of, you just ignore the fact that these people are breaking the law. And suddenly they're just, you know, they, they, let's humanize them with these personal stories. And, and oh, look at the assholes trying to, to, to deport these poor, wonderful people. There's that issue, which to me is the, by far the biggest one, which is we have rules, we have laws, simply abide by them. That's point one. Point two is, again, liberals just like to ignore this one as well, which is at some point, you know, the fact that we have, I don't know how many people are in the country that are undocumented or wherever the, the term is, you know, th this has economic repercussions uh, on other people. So, you know, uh, so there's supply and demand issues of, of if there are, um, you know, if there are X number of people who are willing to work for some outrageously low wage because they're illegal and they just need money, that takes a job away from some other person who was here, a, a, a lawful citizen, or perhaps somebody who, who immigrated legally, who would have had that job and who might have been paid a higher wage. But because of supply and demand, the more people there are in, who, vying for jobs, the less they get paid. And so, you know, there's that, effect, there's that factor, and, and nobody talks about that very much. And I think that's huge, too, because think of all the people who don't have jobs, whom some of them absolutely would have jobs if, if they weren't competing against how many, however many people are here who are illegal and who need to get paid something so they'll work for nothing. Well, and I think the other thing I think the other thing to remember about this too is that there's there's a really strong cultural impact here in the sense that uh, I mean part of the reason that Europe is dealing with migrants that are not uh they're not assimilating is that they are coming into the country coming into the continent illegally they're settling all together they're not really they're not filtering in in the same way that a uh, a naturalized citizen filters in and assimilates into the country. They're staying in their own pockets. They're speaking their own languages, and and then they're starting to become alienated from. So so when guys like I mean this is a whole other discussion, and I still want to talk about um, Adam Curtis and the power of nightmares here in a moment. But uh, the you know when the, when guys like Andrew Chowdhury say you look, Muslims are being treated like second class citizens in Europe. Well, that's like partially because Muslims aren't citizens, like it, when they're coming from the Middle East. I mean, there are plenty of, I mean, having lived in France, there are plenty of Muslim citizens who get along fine in the country. They get along fine. They naturalized, they went through the, the actual immigration process, and we can say the same thing with the United States. I mean, you and I both lived uh, near Dearborn, you still live there, and there's, there's not an issue. Everybody's fine. Everybody gets along fine, more or less. Um, you know, I mean, we certainly don't have any issues like France is dealing with, but there are a lot of them who just aren't citizens. So when Andrew Chattery says they're being treated like second class citizens and this is how they respond, it's like, well, they're not citizens and they're all getting together and getting pissed off that they're not being invited in. Well, it's because they didn't come in properly. So it's like these things are, have cultural impacts. And I can imagine, you know, a kind of, uh, I don't want to say anti Americanness, but a kind of alternative culture that it could be you know cultivated in a population of people who come into the united states illegally and it's a something that's really 
ought to be considered. You know, I mean, part of the reason we naturalize people is so that they become citizens and feel included. Yeah, uh, agreed. And I also think that, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit reluctant to bring this up, but I have to, is the theory that I do happen to believe, which is that on some level, this push to, you know, open the doors as wide as fucking possible is, is politically motivated and because 99.9% of hell, it's probably 100% of all those people are going to vote Democrat. And when we have a political divide in this country that is what it is, and when the latest polls show this political race is pretty much a dead heat, and I believe, well, you know, Hillary was ahead before the conventions, Trump is ahead now by most polls, and I believe that it'll swing back toward the middle, uh, and I believe that we'll head into literally like middle of October with it a fit, you know, like a not 50-50 because, you know, some people are going to vote for other candidates, but relatively a 50-50 race that, you know, an extra 50,000 people or 100,000 people could actually matter. And, and oh, yeah. there's just the long-term view. The long-term view of, you know, of course, both parties have, you know, long-term strategies. And if I were a Democrat, you know, this would be one of my top, my top initiatives. And I think it is one of their top initiatives of let's just let as many people in as possible because they're all going to vote for us because most of them need some form of government assistance and they know that we're the party most likely to give it. It's that simple. And I think that's just plain, simple logic that, you know, anybody that argues against that is naive, very naive. So there's yeah, that fact. I mean, I, I, I don't know if that's, if that's true, um, but I certainly can see dude, a case dude, for it. Dude, dude, it is. It is, trust well, me. Well, you know, for, all I mean, the people, for all the people who say, oh, you and your fucking conspiracy theories, I'll, I'll, I'll invite you. Just go look into the, the, the hornet's nest of the, of the emails that were hacked uh, from the DNC and all the shit that's pouring out of that. Again, if we, had a, if we had an objective media, oh my God, that would be the top news story for the next, until the election, because I think there's I'm, that I'm much shit I'm kind of amazed there. it isn't, to be honest. Like, that's well, starting it, to make just, me feel... The media, yeah, it's starting to make me feel more like, yeah, this is the... Well, I mean, I grew up hearing, oh, the media is so liberal, and I remember thinking, like, it fe does not feel that way at all. It feels very... Uh, it feels very... Uh, conservative, at least when I was younger, but I feel like this is an example of how I could see. I don't, I don't see how any other way, how it could be portrayed any other way with the leak of, with the DNC emails. And I mean, just from hearing what people are saying about them on Reddit, which I, I do trust, um, it just well, feels not like only I'm, that, I'm but amazed I mean, just that it hasn't been such an upset. Well, and, and, and a better example, or as, as good an example, would be simply the media reaction to what happened with Hillary's non-indictment. I mean, uh, of course, it was a front-page story, uh, you know, for several days, but that thing died off so quickly. Well, you know, part of it was because you just wait a couple of days and there's a new scandal that'll push that one off the front page, which is literally the truth. That's, that's how that woman rolls. I mean, it's just, you know, like, I, I cannot believe that after, you know, after Wasserman Schultz was was, you know, stepped down, Hillary immediately hired her publicly. And it's like, okay, I can, I get that she's an operative that's valuable to you, 
But how do you not see that there's a large level of outrage surrounding what she did? I mean, she tipped the scale against Vladimir Bernie Putin Sanders. I mean, that is Vladimir Putin level coercion. Is how oh, it yeah. Seems to me. There's no question about it. But you look again at the media response, and it's it's just not portrayed that way. And you you I know, or unless my memory is bad, which it very well could be, but I'm pretty damn sure that at some point you you and I had a conversation in which you led me to believe that you were a Sanders supporter. Wasn't that correct? Yeah, I am. I think he would be a great president. Okay, well, I completely disagree, but that's irrelevant. <laughs> my point is, so yeah. how did you react when you heard the news that that there was clear and unequivocal conspiracy that no one is denying that she fucking rigged things. Okay, how does that not enrage you? Yeah, it makes me angry, for sure. I feel, but here's the other part about it. I feel a sense of powerlessness around it. So I'm like, look, I could get really mad about this, but I can't do anything about this. Like, this just, just feels really... Like, imp- like, like impotent, like in the sense of, I just can't, there's nothing I could do that would be effective in this situation. My feelings about this are meaningless in the sense that this is a bigger game that other people are, are playing. Well, and I know. I mean, clearly that's the case, but I mean, if you, if you want to use that as your, you know, as your filter, then why watch the news? I mean, the reality is you and I aren't going to affect pretty much anything that ever happens in this country, but I mean, hell, here we are doing a podcast in which we talk about these things. So it seems to me that, you know, I wouldn't let the thought that you can't directly influence anything about that prevent you from having feelings about it. Because, I mean, I was enraged, not because I wanted Sanders, because, you know, to me, it's just, it's just two forms of poison being offered by the Democratic Party. Which one do you want to kill you? Uh, But, but still, just from a democratic meaning democracy not democratic party from a democracy perspective yeah this was this was the clearest and largest example that i've ever seen of a direct attempt to influence a political outcome do i think other things have happened behind the scenes of course i do but this is public this is this is out there and again no one is disputing this nobody's saying oh we didn't write those emails no one's yeah. saying that. In fact, what's really scummy and pathetic is the people on the left who are who who immediately Defending. went into you know spin control, and yeah. they're blaming Russia for hacking in. And and uh, to which I'll say this: okay, who so cares? let's assume that. Did why happen. does it matter? I don't exactly. Understand why this, yeah, exactly. exactly. You wrote oh, the fucking lied. emails. We, so yeah, so we lied and coerced this election, but. The guys who told you about it were just trying to fuck us up. And you're like, well, yeah, well, who cares? Why does that yeah. matter? But I mean, but the I agree fact with that. that 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 yeah, and and that became an, that became a huge sto- a news story, and it still is a huge news story. And again, if I'm the editor of a major newspaper, I you know I'd write an editorial saying, you know, let's assume that's true. If you don't write those emails, if you don't do that wrong thing, you're not at risk. So. <laughs> You know, you got to be kidding me. I mean, you want to talk about not taking responsibility and having zero accountability? That's Hillary. I mean, Hillary never takes responsibility for anything. And another thing, going back to my prior point about how the media, you know, controls the narrative and all that, I don't know if you saw the story about, and again, this is another example of just how the fix is in, uh, CBS uh, 60 Minutes did a, a piece on 
uh, Hillary and her running mate. I did not watch it, but I did see a number of um, news stories making the point I'm about to share, which is that um, Scott Pelley, who was the interviewer, asked her point blank about this whole you know scan- email scandal, the second email scandal. I need to qualify which email scandal I'm talking about, yeah. but the second one. And, and, and her saying, oh, no, I didn't know anything about that. You know, don't I, you know, that wasn't, I don't know, you know, when it's like, uh, you know, uh, are, are you kidding me? And, and, and the point is, here's the point, that question and answer were excluded from what aired on 60 on Minutes yeah, and was yeah. only, view, only viewable online. So I guess they could they could cover their journalistic integrity by saying, well, we did put it out there, but we it wasn't it on part the of. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we, in other words, probably, you know, maybe 40% or less of the people who watched the segment on TV, you know, ever saw the rest of it. But I mean, th- that isn't the point. The point is that they made that editorial decision to not show that part because it was obviously the most damning and negative for her. Well, this is I mean, 60 minutes we're talking about here. Yeah, so this just plays into a little bit of what I wanted to go with uh, to pivot this conversation in terms of the Hitler type of discussion, which is to talk about this guy, Adam Curtis, and his documentary, uh, The Power of Nightmares, that came out uh, probably, man, 10 years ago now, I want to say. Um, Adam Curtis, we've talked about him before. I've shared stuff with you before of his. Uh, He runs a blog called Adam Curtis Blog. He's a BBC documentarian. And he made this documentary, The Power of Nightmares, which tracked the rise of George W. Bush and, uh, and, uh, shoot, who's the British Prime Minister at the time? Tony Blair. And Tony Blair. Particularly tracked their, the changing of their message such that they began to build, I mean, I think he says in the opening of the documentary, the politicians used to give us a vision of the future that we would want to build toward. It was a dream of what the world could be. Um, But now we are left with politicians who control and take power by building a vision of a nightmare and, and talking about how only their election will prevent that sort of thing from happening. I see both people Mm. making this argument in this election. I see Trump making it, and I also see Hillary making it. The difference is this. Trump is saying, elect me, or we're going to get a country full of weak, uh, you know, run by weak Democrats, uh, and it's going to be full of rapists from Mexico and uh, jihadists from the Middle East, uh, and our businesses are going to fail. And then Hillary is saying, elect me, or you'll get Trump. And that seems to be a pretty good distillation of both of their positions. And neither of whom, I think, seem to be building a vision of the future. Now, the last president to do that, even if you hate him, was Barack Obama, who had a very powerful vision of the future that he got, particularly took a hold of young people. I voted for him the first time he ran. Uh, and it was because I wanted to believe I saw, I, 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 I bought in wholeheartedly to the idea that this was going to be a new, you know, we're emerging from the Bush years in a world that's going to be inclusive and it's going to be meeting the problems of hate with love and, and powerful things like this. And I think, you know, years later, here we are eight years later, and I can admit that I'm disillusioned now that those things were idealistic. Maybe that's a mistake all young people make. 
But it was a vision of the future that was positive that we wanted to build toward. It wasn't the eight years of keep voting Republican or you're going to live in a nightmare that I think was delivered during most of the Bush administration, the second Bush administration. But it feels like we're caught back in that place. And I think that it's relevant to the Hitler discussion because that's what it does. It goes, the other side is Hitler. We're living in a world of Hitlers and we have to prevent the rise of Hitler by voting for me. I will stop the Hitlers of the world. Like that's, it seems to be what the message is. And who that Hitler is is the only difference between the sides. That was really well articulated, dude. That was the most powerful point that's been made in this conversation so far. And that's, um, you're absolutely correct in your analysis of that. Uh, I, I, um, I don't know that I, well, let me, let me qualify that just a little bit. I don't, I don't think that, um, Trump's message was all doom and gloom. I really don't. I think, I think the only thing I would alter a little bit would be that you said, you know, Hillary's message is, I'll save you from Trump. I think Trump's message is, I'll save you from Hillary. I think that I agree with, but I thought Trump's message actually had a lot of hope in it and inclusiveness in it. But again, the way the media reported it, you'd never know it. And if you didn't watch every minute of it yourself, and I don't know if you did or didn't, I did. It was Honestly, I thought it was the best political speech I'd ever heard. I mean, I was mm. cheering throughout most of it. So, you know, uh, and again, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a conservative, but I really, it gave me hope. It gave me mm. hope because what I see the Democrats doing, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll reference back to what I said earlier on this podcast about 61 speeches on the opening night of the Democratic Convention, and nobody referenced terrorism or ISIS. What I see the Democrats doing is running to their safe spaces en masse. They, uh, it, you know, let's put our heads in the sand and we won't talk about it. And, you know, it, it's just an aversion to dealing with reality because I don't care what the stats say about you know, about violent crime in total, I know that I have a level of fear I've never had before in my life. And I, sure. and I don't think it was manufactured by anything other than the terror. I mean, again, what happened in Nice? What happened, you know, uh, in San Bernardino? I mean, I, I can't even keep track of the list. There's been some, what happened in Orlando? What happened with this Normandy? I mean, it's like, I can't even keep track of this shit because yeah. it's, it's coming so fast and furious. That, I mean, if I lived in France, for example, I would probably be thinking twice every now and then about whether I want to go out and have a, a, a meal at an outdoor cafe in Paris or not. Yeah, yeah. I really would. I well, really I mean, would. I, mean, I can't look, say. I'm in Chicago and Lollapalooza starts tomorrow and it's not a thought that hasn't crossed my mind. You know, I mean, it's. Are you going? These are things. No, I'm super not going because part part of part of the reason for that is the feeling that this is a super unsafe. I mean, this is the biggest target. If I'm in, uh, you know, a, an Islamic terrorist, I agree. Just, I, what I do, I would just run and jump over the fence. Nobody's going to stop you. Like it's it's totally nuts. It's how people break into Lollapalooza without tickets. Like all it takes is a guy with a bunch of you know homemade explosives on his chest or in a backpack to just jump over the fucking fence and then run into a crowd. That's it. Like it's. I mean, I get exactly. it. Here's the, here's the thing, and I want to draw this out a little bit because I think it's also relevant to this Hitler point. Is like, like, you are factually safer than you were 10 years ago. Like, we have stats that show that. Um, 
it doesn't mean that your feelings are not important. It also doesn't mean that that we shouldn't address the problem seriously. I mean, this is part of this like jumping to conclusions thing. Like I had to talk with my roommate about this immigration thing yesterday where I was like, look, I mean, I, part, part of the issue that I have here is like, you know, we, and we've talked about this before. I, I'm not, you know, it's the same kind of deal. Like we live in a society in which now I have to begin statements with, look, I'm not any kind of racist or I don't, everybody, I accept everybody the color <laughs> skin. Like it's ridiculous. Like we talked about the migrant problem in Germany and now it's leading towards, you know, gunmen in Munich who are shooting up shopping malls. And Oh yeah, you know, I forgot are, about these, that. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the point that I was making there that I was talking to my roommate about is I was like, look, I mean, some of this is, you know, if I'm living in Arizona, for example, and or Texas, I think it's reasonable that you're like, my entire demographic of my city has changed in the last 10 years. Like, th- there's a certain type of displacement anxiety that takes place and that's a reasonable feeling to have. I don't think that, like, like you were talking about the goalpost moving earlier. Like, it feels very weird that we have hit this kind of point in which it's a radical or it's like a controversial opinion to go like, look, I care about my city. And the fact that I don't, I just don't want a big demographic change to change the culture of this town, like, or the, the culture of my neighborhood or the culture of, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I, you could be wrong about it, but there's nothing wrong with having that opinion, if that makes any sense. And I think it's strange that we live in a world, I'm kind of rambling a little bit. I think to get back to the point that I was going to make here, um, and it's relevant to the, well, I don't even remember what the point was now, but it was uh, relevant to this discussion. Let's both agree with that. <laughs> yeah, well, let, let me let me just say one thing in response to that and is... I put a post on Facebook the other day in which I basically said, uh, out globalism in nationalism. And I, I don't want to take the time to say everything that I said in that post, but the gist of it was, I'm not against other people. I'm not racist. I simply love my people more than I love other people. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And, so, you know, the so, analogy I would draw would be... Yep. You know, I would buy. A, I might buy a, a Christmas gift for you. I'm just kidding. Of course, I'd never really do that. But I'm more likely to do that than I am to buy a Christmas gift for somebody that lives, uh, you know, a mile from me. Aren't I? And is there yeah. something wrong with that? And yet again, the way that the narrative has been so distorted for anyone to say what I said, you know, I people I could see people reacting to what I said, and it wasn't all positive. And and I went so far out of my way to to qualify my point by saying I'm not against other people. I just love my people more. Again, it's similar to the argument about, you know, do you lock your doors at night? Yeah. If so, it's not because you hate, it's not because you hate people on the outside. It's because you love people on the inside and you want to protect them. And this is a similar yeah. thought, but. Well, um, I, uh, hold on, hold on. I want to, I want to finish this I think, point. I know we're running up on the hour. I just want to, I remembered the point I was going to make and I wanted to say, it because it is relevant to this discussion. Um, and then, and I know we're going to, we're trying to wrap it up because we're at the hour, but. Just what I was saying is I completely agree with what, well, with what you're saying there. And the problem is that a lot of people who are responding to what you're saying are jumping to conclusions because they're, they're taking what you're saying, they're having a reaction to it. And instead of questioning that reaction or trying to engage with the things you actually said, they're just getting taken away with their passion for the things that they believe in. And that's taking them to this kind of Hitlerish ism level by going like, well, you're Hitler, Mike McClure, by thinking that. 
instead of logically dealing with the, the salient points that you're making and engaging with them properly and reasonably. And the, the, the yep. major issue with this is that we're looking at the, so the problem of, of let's say, terrorism and our feelings about it, um, and the fact that we feel vulnerable and there's nothing to do about it, even though we are statistically safer in, in today's world, is a real problem. It, it really is. It's not going to go away, even though that maybe liberals want to pretend like it is, if that's the case. And it's not the end of the world, and it's not factually incorrect that we're safer in the way that maybe Republicans want to, want to, some Republicans want to, want to pretend like that is. Newt Gingrich among them. The reason I'm saying this is because if that's a real problem, and it is, then we need, we need answers that are, are difficult and nuanced and take into account things that are not on an ideological spectrum that exist only at the two endpoints. There's some sort of gray area that, that we have to navigate. And the only way to do that is by trying to engage with people who maybe disagree with you, but through that disagreement, we can synthesize new answers that weren't on the table before because they don't prescribe to either of our ideological positions. And I know that's a really you know, complicated thing maybe to understand in today's world, but I think it's really important because we just walking around calling everybody Hitler isn't going to lead to the solution of Islamic terrorism. I mean, it's just not. No, well said. I agree with all that. And I think that you're right that and we touched on this in one of our previous podcasts about, you know, the the, the doctrine of charity or whatever it was that you, yeah. you talked about, yeah. you know, which is mm-hmm. which is the idea of, you know, giving other people the benefit of the doubt in terms of what their intentions are behind what they're yeah. saying. But we've we've so clearly we're so clearly not there anymore if we ever were. I think we might have been there, you know, we were a much more polite culture at one time, but now we have become a, a culture of knee jerkism and shouting at each other and and, and again calling everyone a Hitler. So on that <laughs> note, um, great. That was a great final point. I'm glad that you, um, I'm glad that you wanted to make it. And uh, we're going to end on that note. Thanks everybody All for right. listening to Take care. Uh, everyone is Hitler and we'll see you on our next uh, episode of Unfeed. Thanks for listening. <laughs>